happy Valentine's Day. It is the fan drive time. Ben Ennis, no Blake Murphy because he's with his true love, NBA basketball, down at Scotiabank Arena getting ready for the Raptors and Orlando Magic. Jam-packed show, though, today without Blake. As we're going to talk to Michael Grange in mere moments, we'll talk to our pal Frank Cervelli also later this hour. We're 17 days away from the NHL trade deadline and and increasingly so it's become a league of resting players in and around the trade deadline like 17 days is close but not not that close Vladislav Gavrikov is the latest to be shut down because he is going to be traded at some point not like now not like tonight I don't think but before the trade deadline which again is March Third, which is eight games from now if you are paying attention to the Columbus Blue Jackets schedule, which you shouldn't be doing. So uh, Jacob Chikrin already shut down, already missed a couple of games because, again, might be traded. They have seven more games before the deadline. And uh, Kevin Weeks making a little news today in Leafland as he says the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs are one of the teams in on uh, the San Jose Sharks, Timo Meyer, who play tonight against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Timo Meyer going to be traded before March 3rd. Will he play tonight? Is he allowed to play in hockey games before he is traded? We will find out uh, when we talk to Frank Saravelli later on in this first hour. But today's top story is the Raptors facing the Orlando Magic tonight in their final game before the All-Star break, which doesn't sound all that appetizing. And then you, you think about the narratives, which I think are kind of appetizing and Michael Grange did a great job of breaking them down um in his latest on sportsnet.ca that the the losing of back-to-back games against the Magic in December kind of started this whole thing for the Raptors the whole thing being playing very poorly it was the start of a six-game losing streak for the Raptors which dropped them below 500 and in fact it was kind of a launching point for the Magic as well so will we see some reversal of fortune again tonight? Let's find out. We'll talk to uh, our pal Michael Grange right now, Sportsnet Raptors reporter down at Scotiabank Arena. Happy Valentine's Day to you, Michael. Happy Valentine's to you, Ben. It's a bit sad you're all by yourself there today. Yeah, it's okay. Are you all right? Yeah, I'm hanging okay. in, man. Yeah, it's all right. All right. Yeah. I got, I got my pals on the other side of the glass. Um, and, yeah, my one true love, the, the radio microphone um, with me as well. Uh, which franchise would you rather be right now? The Orlando Magic, who had the presumptive Rookie of the Year. And, yeah, I know the Raptors had the Rookie of the Year last year, but, you know, they, they got a, another star in front of Wagner. And, and well, since the, the two games that the Magic beat the Raptors uh, at the beginning of December, the Magic actually had the better record. Is, is that a crazy question to ask? Which franchise would you rather be, the Raptors or the Magic right now? Oh, I think I'd rather be the ma- I mean, a fan of the Magic for sure. I think, uh, as you point out, they've got the number one pick, Paolo Bancaro, but they also have Franz Wagner, who, even though Scotty Barnes was the rookie of the year last year and was picked number four and Wagner was eight, um, be pretty tough call to say who's the better player right now. Either it doesn't really matter because Wagner's going to be really good. And, uh, you know, they've just got a lot of interesting players up and down the lineup. They're going to have two more good lottery picks this year and a very good draft. And they have, um, you know, so I, I think that they're, what they have is a, is a plan and a trajectory. And this is kind of a fun time. We've seen it here in Toronto in years past where a team is 
you know, on the cusp of something. Now, whether it all works out, what happens when they kind of get a little closer to the cusp, but everyone's kind of, uh, you know, it's hard to, to keep everyone pulling together on the same rope and all of those kinds of things. But right now, um, I like where the Magic are right now, are, and then I find the Raptors in a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a confusing state for the moment. Yeah, we've talked plenty about how confusing it is. Um, and and the, the two games since Jakob Pertl has rejoined the Raptors have been mixed results, I would say, although kind of similar because uh, the both fourth quarters uh, against the Jazz and then against the Pistons were defensive abominations. And I, I guess, you know, you can talk about the Pistons game being without Jakob Pertl, who fouled out of that game. Um, but yeah, you dig deeper into the numbers. And again, in your latest on sportsnet.ca, talking about the the defensive rating when Pirtle's on the floor and when he's not, like it's stark. Like they're they're actually really good defensively when he's on the court, which tracks because that that did seem to be like kind of a linchpin of what they were trying to do defensively. But like the overall results, like if I told you that the Raptors blew a lead against a Jazz team that is obviously in the early stages of its development and then barely hung on to beat a not-so-great Pistons team. That sounds like the the pre-deadline Raptors, does it not? Right. We haven't exactly seen, um, you know, them kind of take take the ball and, and, and run with it, so to speak. I, I, you know, that's sort of been the story for this team, as we pointed out, all season, really. But just momentum has kind of escaped them. And it would have been a great story if they'd come out and beat the Jazz and held them off and, and then uh, took care of business against the Pistons. They're 2-0, and then they have a chance against... Orlando, who's, you know, a better team than their record shows, but are playing on the second night of a back-to-back. You go into the break 3-0, and and everyone's happy. So, um, you know, but I think what's important is the minutes that Pirtle has played. As you point out, they've been limited because of foul trouble, um, which is another story. Mm. But, you know, he's delivered what they've expected. He's shored up the defense. They are a little sounder overall. And, you know, two games and, you know, 40-odd minutes in those two games isn't a really uh, definitive sample size, but um, it's encouraging. <laughs> and I think when you, if you're the Raptors at this stage, you're looking for encouragement. Um, I'm still in Team Tank, though, because the Raptors do control their first-round pick this year. They don't or might not next year because of this portal trade. Uh, and I understand that right now they're inside the, the play-in tournament in the Eastern Conference and would host, in fact, the, the first play-in game against the the Washington Wizards. They're 10th worst as far as record in the NBA, but they got a couple of teams behind them in the reverse standings in the Lakers and Bulls who have no motivation to tank because neither of them control their first-round picks. And, I mean, the, the Bulls, I guess, have top four protections. But And then you go back to, like, the, the, the lottery history since the, the new percentages were established in 2019, Grange, and... Like, there's always a team outside of the bottom six that, that jumps into the top four, and the Raptors well know this. It's why they have Scotty Barnes. And I, I guess this organization is done, like, orchestrating the tank, but is that still not in the best interest of this franchise to continue to, to fall down the standings? Because the idea of, of doing anything in the postseason with this roster is obviously insane. Um. I would agree with that. I mean, I think I've been of that mind. I think that there's, um, you know, I just think that this team, the one good thing, or not the one good thing, a positive thing from the Pirtle trade is you did lengthen your roster. You did add talent to it. You're better since the trade than you were before 
just in terms of personnel because you didn't really have to give up a rotation player. Um, but you, in my opinion, you're still at a talent deficit. And now that you've traded away some draft equity to get Pirtle, you're at a pick deficit. And I think, you know, for the where this team is, I think they're in a situation or a stage where they should be accumulating talent. They should be turning. Um, they should be at trying to add picks. They should be trying to add multiple players, even if it means moving off of one of their top players. And, you know, the low-hanging fruit, you're right, this year would be um, sliding back in the draft and, you know, picking and maybe getting picking somewhere in the top seven or eight. There's some good players there for sure. And maybe get really lucky, and you end up in, with one of those top two picks, and um, you know everything changes. Um, that to me would be the ideal outcome of this season. Um, but for whatever reason, that's not what the Raptors have chosen to do. And if the short-term numbers, the short, the small sample size numbers, kind of end up being reflected, I mean the Raptors could go on a bit of a run here, and there's a pretty soft schedule coming up. Um, you know, and tonight would count as part of a soft schedule. The Magic are a better team than, than we re- we thought of back in December. Mm-hmm. Um, they are playing third game in four nights. Yeah, yeah, and won yesterday against a, a Bulls team that is, yeah, with a hobbled DeMar DeRozan as well. He's got a, a hip injury. Yeah, I, um, it's in their best interest to lose, but you, you're right. It's that the schedule is probably soft enough that it's Im- impossible. And even with like a kind of 500-ish, record over the last two weeks they've they've managed to gain ground in the eastern conference um og ananobi i guess is likely again out tonight uh it'll be the 14th game he's missed this season i mean that's that's part of the og ananobi storyline uh as a member of the toronto raptors like defensive player of the year candidate when he plays how do you think that will should impact the discussion around him at the end of this season when again i guess according to masai ujiri you know, the, the asking prices or the prices willing to be paid for players that were available at the deadline remain intact even at the conclusion of this season? That's an interesting question. Um, you know, I think as we've seen over and over again in the NBA, talent gets rewarded, talent gets accumulated, people will go out of their way to do it. And there's no question that OG Ananobi is in his role is as good or better than almost anyone else doing it. And so I think some of the concerns or that you mentioned that locally people kind of might pay attention to. And, and you know, it's, it's just such a kind of uncomfortable thing to talk about somebody's injury history. And, you know, you just don't know exactly the nature of them and all of that. But, but I mean, I can say that... Y- people who would be in a position to know better um, that I've talked to around the league at times, he's developed the reputation as a guy who takes his time to getting back. And I should say in this instance, I was in San Francisco when, when OG went to the rim and he got smashed. Like he was very lucky that the only thing to come out of it, he came out of it with was a sprained left wrist because anything could have happened on that ball. It was a scary one, but uh, all that said, it's just, as far as we know, it's a sprained left wrist. Um, it's been uh, basically about two weeks now, and there's, you know, you don't get the sense that he's hurrying back, and now you've got to 
the trade deadline. So, or sorry, the all-star break. So, you know, obviously we're not going to see him for another week, but uh, we'll see what happens after the break. But, uh, you know, the short answer to that is, is I think, you know, the fact that he does have a tendency to some injuries, they're not the same ones over the time. They're not chronic. It's not a back. It's not a hamstring. It's not these things that, you know, calf strains where you really have to give pause. He has been a bit unlucky, but he's consistently unlucky, I guess is what I would say. Yeah, and if there is an issue with, you know, returning to play, I mean, it would not be abnormal um, looking around the NBA. That's kind of the deal, right? Like, lots of star players, uh, integral players to their teams spend lots of time not playing, uh, either uh, as part of load management or or because, you know, they, they want to be 100% when they return. And there's an, a, a decreased import on the regular season for teams with championship aspirations. So in that regard... Grange, doesn't it kind of make more sense? Like, the OG Ananobi thing works if you are, like, a, a Raptors team that has championship aspirations. You can give him all the time in the world, and you can load manage him. Doesn't he kind of belong on a, on a team that has, you know, uh, sights a little bit higher than, than, than the Raptors and that a team that, that actually has to win regular season games? Maybe he's not the player for you? <laughs> um, my only counter to that was is he's 25. Yeah. And... He's great at what he does. And so if you're kind of looking ahead with this group, you know, yeah, I think you'd have to think very long long and very hard about um, moving away from a 25-year-old who's, you know, in the upper tier of, of his position and, you know, a, a bona fide NBA starter on, as I've said before, I think he starts on almost, I think he starts on every team in the league. Mm. Um, so, to, so it, you know, I, I think you got to be careful with that. And the flip side is also true. I mean, we've seen OG Ananobi. We know what he's like in pretty competitive environments. Um, it's not like he shies from the moment or anything like that. So um, I understand what you're getting at. But, but I think, you know, I think if you're looking to reshape this team, you know, I don't know if a 25-year-old is where you want to start with unless the kind of return you can get from him for him is – just so exceptional you you've got no choice but to take it yeah and again the next season has a different tenor than this one where tanking is not an option really unless you can guarantee yourself um a bottom six pick and being one of the worst teams in the league which i guess i mean if you're trading well pascal siakam and og ananobi and i don't know i guess you know not resigning yakup pertle maybe you could get to that position um grange i, I think we talked about we talked about it briefly um, during our conversation on trade deadline about the the Masai Ujiri statement about the, the play-in game when he called the play-in for what when the Raptors were not playing at home, when, you know, COVID was running rampant through the team. There's lots of reasons for that team not to play for a play-in game and didn't exactly echo those sentiments when asked about the play-in game in 2023. And I do wonder how much of that has to do with the potential revenue of even playing one play-in game. I mentioned right now the Raptors, like, finished season today. They are hosting one play-in game against the Washington Wizards. And if they win it, they, they go on the road for a, a second play-in game. And then maybe they win that. They, they got lots of play-in or they got lots of playoff games at home. How much of a motivating factor do you think it is for this team? And, and maybe Masai Ujiri looking at the people who employ him and wanting to give them, you know, a little financial windfall after what's probably been a couple of lean years. Yeah, I mean, I've wondered that myself. I mean, my only 
answer or, or counter to that would be, you know, if you're talking about one playoff gate, you know, I don't know what exactly the number would be, but it's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of five or seven million dollars. Not nothing, but they did pay Otto Porter five to seven million dollars this year. Like the numbers, and, and and you know, they are I think 19th in payroll this season. They're well under the cap or reasonably under the cap. They're going to get a massive luxury tax payment for being one of the teams that are under the cap, thanks to uh, under the luxury tax, I should say, thanks to. Um, you know, Golden State Warriors and Brooklyn Nets and, you know, some of these teams that are so well over the tax that they're going to finance the rest of the league. Um, so I, I don't think that the organization would be that short-sighted. Um, and and there's not really a lot of history, I think, of, of this organization, quite the opposite, I would say, where, you know, they're not profligate, right? Like, they're not Joe Lacob spending hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions to uh, to keep that team together in in San Francisco, but you know they've they've been a fairly you know when you look at the soft ways they spent money like you know the investments they've made off the court and around the court and with their staffing and all of those kinds of things like you know when you talk to other people in other organizations like they are uh, you know they they aren't cheap in that respect so mm-hmm. um, you know I, I could have. I'd be more willing to entertain that kind of thinking if they had sort of doubled down and they, you know, they traded a bunch of picks and they, you know, they went and got two or three other players and filled other needs. And they said, you know what, the East is kind of wide open, which apart from the top two teams, or maybe three teams, it is kind of, um, you know, we can probably get into the second round here if we really just load up properly, um, you know, but I mean, all of this for one, you know, uh, changing the trajectory of your, team building to gain one playoff date or home playoff date doesn't make a ton of sense. And I don't think that's something they would do. I don't think so either. So yeah, like if, if we could wave a magic wand, it's like game 82 and either you play your starters or you don't. And if you play your starters and win the basketball game, you're in a play in spot. And if you don't, you're likely out of a play in position and, and maybe in a better draft lottery position. You think that this front office would, would prefer to lose that game. Sorry, would they prefer to lose the game and be in the lottery or win the game and yes. be in the plan? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think if it's right down at one game at the end, they'd probably win the game and be in the plan and hopefully win another playing game and see what happens. I mean, you know, I think if you go that far, you know, that's that seems like the wrong time to tank to me. Hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, uh, you know, because you're looking at either being draft- drafting 15th or 16th or drafting – you know, having a whatever the 14th pick in the lottery gives you in terms of percentage chance to to uh, to get a to get up in the top top spot. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think I would say this: if they're if they're determined to to move back in the lottery, they've they've kind of gone a funny way about it. Mm-hmm. But if they are if they are determined to do that, or it does does emerge as a strategy, you know, get your work done early. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can't you can't wait to the last week. Um, but uh, but I don't know. As I said, I mean, I think that's the overall takeaway here. I mean, I think um, if this season is going to be judged on, you know, how well assets have been managed, you know, it's not looking like it's going to come out like in fl- with flying colors. doesn't mean it can't get sorted out in the summer and, and you make a big swing and 
you move one of your top guys and, and you somehow you move up the lottery and add a couple of good young pieces and, you know, we'll forget this conversation ever happened. But um, for now, heading into the all-star break, it's looking like they're going to finish somewhere 10th, 11th, 9th, maybe 8th. Mm. Chances are they're going to, you know, be quickly out in the first round or not advance to a playoff spot and um, draft kind of low to mid in the lottery and, um, you know, not really advance your program in any meaningful way or measurable way. Yeah, but uh, I I guess those play-in tournament games will be fun to watch. It was, yeah, a strange um, NBA trade deadline, a strange set of circumstances this Raptors team finds itself going into a game against the Magic on Sportsnet tonight as well. Uh, Grange, enjoy the game tonight. Thanks for this, man. Always, Ben. All the best. Yeah, you too. Michael Grange, Sportsnet Raptors reporter, working on uh, Valentine's Day, as I am. Yeah, uh, Raptors returned from the All-Star break against the New Orleans Pelicans, who, in that first year, the, the new lottery system went from the seventh position in the draft lottery to number one, where they selected Zion Williamson who, when he's healthy, looks like the most dominant player in the NBA. The problem, of course, that he's rarely on the court and, like, another setback for him. But, yeah, go through the the lotteries in the last three years and how many teams outside the bottom four jump into a top-four position in the draft lottery. Was that Pelicans team went from 7th to 1. In the same year, the Grizzlies went from 8 to 2. That same year, the Lakers went from 11 to 4. 2020, Bulls went from 7 to 4. Hornets went from 8 to 3. Of course, in 2021, in the play-in for what year, the the Raptors went from 7th to 4th. And then just last year, the Kings jumping from 7 to 4. 7, for some reason, feels like the lucky number. Every single draft lottery since the odds have been flattened at the top, the team with the 7th worst record has jumped into the top 4, which the Raptors, like... If they were dedicated to tanking, honestly, even if they're not dedicated to tanking, because they haven't been dedicating to tanking yet, and they're still sitting with the 10th worst record in the NBA. But if, you know, say a couple of guys were sat out for various reasons, and you could find a way to lose more games than you win the rest of the way, mention the Lakers, don't control their own pick, go to the Pelicans. Mansion, the Bulls don't control their own pick unless it lands in the top four. And yeah, DeMar DeRozan's injury might impact their ability to win games down the stretch. But those guys are motivated. The Magic are motivated. I mean, would they love to add another lottery pick to the score? Sure. But they're in the phase of their franchise that, that wins are encouraging and part of the developmental process there. And the other one is the Wizards. So you got two teams that are motivated to win, and then the Wizards, who are actually like tied to the Raptors in percentage points in the Eastern Conference, who they have two games coming up in the second half of the season against as well. Like, the idea of going to the seventh-worst record is not out of the realm of possibility. Even with Jakob Bertel, because they almost lost to a shorthanded Pistons team. So, Yeah. If that's what you're into, which I am, and I, I, I grant you that like my brain has been toxicified by 
North American pro sports and draft lotteries in general. But yeah, you should kind of want the Raptors to lose this game and those two Wizards game and really every game down the stretch. That was today's top story. When we come back, Maple Leafs uh, are in action against a tanking team tomorrow as they play the Chicago Blackhawks and maybe a couple of players that could end up as Toronto Maple Leafs before the March 3rd trade deadline. Timo Meyer was a, a guy attached to the, the Leafs on Twitter today. We'll talk about him. We'll talk about Vladislav Gavrikov being shut down. Jacob Chikrin, he's been shut down until he's traded. And we'll also talk about Frank Saravelli's trip to the Super Bowl. He had incredible seats and a disappointing finish for him. Uh, as we're joined by the president of hockey content for dailyfaceoff.com. Next, fan drive time continues. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 5.9 The Fan. I'm Ben Ennis. Juju Smith-Schuster sending a shot across the bow. Eagles fans today on a, a Valentine's Day tweeting out a, a picture of James Bradbury in the form of a Valentine's Day card. Uh, you know, it's got the two in the from the bottom. It's got James Bradbury like on a red background with a bunch of hearts. And uh, it says in white lettering, I'll hold you when it matters most. And then Juju uh, captioned it. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Uh, and then after that, AJ Brown, yeah. Took him to task, quote tweeted him, called him TikTok boy. That was also amusing. Uh, I don't know if our next guest is going to find it all that amusing, though. It is Frank Saravelli, president of hockey content for dailyfaceoff.com. Had incredible seats for the Super Bowl. Man, your quarterback played well. It was uh, uh, a brutal way to end that game, but exciting as all hell, I guess. Yeah, it was pretty awesome, uh, except for the ending and the result. Honestly, I kind of sat there in shock because really not for any moment until the last five minutes or so did I feel like the Eagles were not in control of that game. And I know you could say, hey, looking at the second half, Mahomes was a man on a mission and, you know, barely had any incomplete passes. But for me, you know, the Eagles just were in such a spot to win and shot themselves in the foot. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the call on James Bradbury? Because, I mean, yeah, he he put his hand up afterwards and said, I, I was holding. So it's hard to be too upset, I think, even for Eagles fans in the moment. But, like, yeah, your vantage point, did it, did, were you apoplectic? I imagine so. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I wasn't that twisted about it because once you hear the players say, yes, it's holding, it's, it's hard to get worked up about it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you've seen a lot, uh, a lot more egregious fouls go uncalled, especially given that moment in the game. And I guess maybe that's what you talk about standard of officiating is if it's a penalty in, you know, the first drive of week one, then it should be a penalty in the fourth quarter of mm. the Super Bowl. Well, uh, again, you had tremendous uh, seats, it looks like, and you got to share the day with yeah. your old man. So well done. Uh, It was a pretty amazing bucket list trip, I will say. That's awesome. Uh, Back to work, though, pal, because uh, we got 17 days before the NHL trade deadline, and and people appear to be wanting to get their work done early. Like, is this 
Is this all because of the Bo Horvat? You know, the, it really did knock down the dam, and like the, the the deals are starting to flow. And I know nothing has happened with Chikrin or Gavrikov, but both guys are sitting out. I imagine they're not going to miss like eight and seven games before the deadline and still be around and waiting to to maximize. Their, like th- those feel like deals like that are about to happen, right? Yes and no. I mean, obviously something is going to happen, but here's the thing. I can tell you that I spoke to a number of NHL general managers today that were saying, can you believe that we get criticized for tanking potentially, and yet we have players full-on sitting out for who knows how long, and that's not an issue for anyone? Like, that was some of the refrain today, saying, how long is this going to last? Because I have no sense you know, just with Chick, Chikrin and also um, Gavrikov in Columbus, that anything is, is quite imminent. Like, I think there's been lots of smoke with the Los Angeles Kings and Chikrin. There's been a lot of uh, chatter and conversation this afternoon and evening about the Boston Bruins and Vladislav Gavrikov. But I think a huge part of this is general managers using this uh, – social media world that we live in uh an instantaneous reaction word spread so fast i think this is an opportunity to try and smoke a team or two out and say hey we're getting close to pulling the trigger i'm sure there's a conversation saying present your best offer but now this is like hey this is really happening yeah i I, you do wonder if at some point the nhl head office is going to say, hey, you can't just shut guys down for no reason because they might be traded and then have them sit for days on end. And obviously, you need buy-in from the player because the player would be well within his rights to say, um, no, I want to play. Like, that's what you're paying me to do, and you can't just sit me for no reason. But it is a it is a bit of a bar- bizarre situation. It, I guess it's not new, but it, it does feel... Like, is this kind of unique? In, it's a in, new, yeah, go ahead. It's a new phenomenon. Like, I would say, like... It, it started um, a few years back, but it's really ramped up and it's really become a lot more of a thing in these last couple of years. Look how far out from the deadline. Like, I, I think previously, if you were a game or two, you could kind of understand it and see the path and say, look, no one needs the headache of a player being injured, uh, not the player, uh, not for his next contract, not the team. And I think that's been part of the reason you've gotten buy-in from agents uh, in particular is you're not going to hear Jacob Chikrin or his agent complaining because mm-hmm. they've wanted him out of there for the last year plus. Yeah. Uh, and, and Vladislav Gavrikov wants to go to his next place and play in the playoffs so that he can jack up his value for his next contract. So you're not going to get any complaints out of them either. Where it's going to get really interesting if there's a player that would like to stay uh, and is unhappy with the situation and gets put in this spot, then we'll see if they start talking. Yeah, that's that's the the weirdo situation. And again, like, well, how do you decide when to pull the trigger on on benching your player? Because we're a ways out, and I don't think that Chickren's going to miss the last ten games before the trade deadline. But but maybe uh, Timo Meyer and his Sharks team have a game tonight against the Penguins, and he's I think almost assuredly going to be traded before March third. Um, the, the the conversation around Meyer and the Leafs continues to to grow. I want to ask you about that, but also like the possibility of of flipping him at the the end of the season. People seem to believe that this is a realistic possibility. I mean, is it a 
what is the difference between him as an unrestricted free agent or a restricted free agent with the $10 million qualifying offer? Don't you have to have the cap room to sign him to a $10 million one-year deal if, in fact, like he has value as a restricted free agent for you? Yeah, and that's where I see a real loss of leverage for the Leafs if they were to consider that. If they went into the you know, deadline targeting Meyer, which I'm, I'm not sold that they are, if they went into that spot thinking, hey, we'll just trade his rights this summer and recoup 15 to 20% on the dollar of what we spent, I, I would understand that and say, hey, that's you know perhaps a prudent way of doing business because you're in a spot where you've acquired a real beast, someone that you can plug into your lineup and make you know significantly better. Um, and then you know you deal with whatever happens after the fact, the sort of optionality thought process of, you know, we it, it, let's say he's absolutely lights out for us. Well, then you trade someone else in the summer and, and you find a way to keep him. So I think having options is a good thing. But I, if you're looking at it from the perspective of which teams really might be able to, you know, push and pull the levers there, the team that stands out to me is the Carolina Hurricanes. Obviously, they've been connected to Meyer, I think, in a much more real way than any of the speculation that's been out there with the Leafs. Um, and part of the reason for that is they've got $18 million coming off their books this summer. They they would be one of those teams that would say, you know what, instead of just trading this guy's rights in the summer, we're going to trade for him now. And worst case scenario, we're going to give him the one-year $10 million qualifying offer and we're going to own this guy's rights. And, you know, if push comes to shove, next year at the deadline, depending on how our team's playing, depending on how he's playing, we could trade him then. We could trade him in the summer. Uh, there's a million things you could do with that, but you have to have the ability to push the button and sign him to that qualifying offer. And I don't see an avenue right now in which the Leafs could do that. No, no, certainly not. Ten million bucks is uh, is a lot. Uh, getting back to to, to Chikrin, and and there's been some reporting around the Maple Leafs' interest in him, uh, and some reporting in the, the Coyotes' willingness to eat part of that deal. Uh, this is not exactly the glamour franchise of the NHL. They don't have the bottomless um, pit of money. Certainly in Arizona, do you think they would be open to to eating maybe up to 50%, which is the maximum you can eat, on on Chikrin's uh, cap hit? Yeah, that was actually my reporting that you're referencing. That's um, it. Yeah, you. You were the guy. <laughs> so I may be qualified to comment on this. Um, yeah, so they're in a spot where I, I think they might have to in order to really get to the realm of the return that they've had circled on, on their board for a long time. Depending on who you talk to, that's, two first-round picks and a prospect, or it's a first-round pick, a first-round pick equivalent, meaning someone that was drafted in the first round, and an A-level prospect, something like that. Either way, it's looking like three pieces or somewhere in the neighborhood of that for Jacob Chikrin. If someone was willing to, is willing to step up and, and acquire the player for that, they would have already done it. It mm-hmm. would have been like first team to put that on the table gets him, uh, we're not going to wait this out after it's gone on for a year. Now I think they've expressed a willingness to some teams to, to retain money, whether it's 25% or 50% or whatever it is. And what that does is really puts him into a realm where uh, the, the ask just goes up significantly. And teams might be willing to, to do that, even though it's going to cost more. Uh, 
because of the flexibility that it provides. A lot of teams already liked the $4.6 million for each of the next two years, but to be at $3 million or 2.3 or somewhere in that area, uh, that really gets everyone excited because could you think of trying to go out on the open market this summer and, and signing a player of Jacob Chickren's caliber to a two-year, $2.3 million deal? No, it's impossible. Good luck trying to do it. And that's exactly the same type of proposition that the Chicago Blackhawks have put forward with Jake McCabe as well, who's pretty high up on our trade targets board. Yeah, and, you, and you've talked about the Leafs being in the market for Jake McCabe as well. Uh, maybe not so much Patrick Kane, uh, who still has yet to announce that he is going to waive his no-trade clause, despite the fact that he was whining about the Vladimir Tarasenko deal to the Rangers. I, I found that very bizarre. I mean... I, I would be shocked to, to to find out that neither he nor Jonathan Taves have waived their no-move clauses before March 3rd. Why, why haven't they just said it? Like, do, do you truly believe there's a chance that they're, they're, they say, hey, you know what, we know this team stinks here and uh, we we want to wrap up uh, this contract with the, the, the plays that we've had so much postseason success with and then we'll go into unrestricted free agency at the end of the season? Yeah, I think that actually has been something that wow. they've – thought about and talked about as wild as that seems and as tough uh, years have, as they've had in Chicago that they haven't been sure totally. And that's why I think that Tarasenko trade hit Kane like a bag of bricks is because he was thinking that the Rangers were going to wait for him that, you know, I think that's been part of the issue for Kane and Taves the last you know couple years as they've, watch this team sort of, um, you know, bottom out around them is they think of themselves as, you know, those types of players from a few years back and, and they're, they're just not. Mm. Um, and so I, I think when it comes to Kane, there's been more reservation about his hip injury than there has been about the acquisition cost. And they've, everyone's sort of been slowly waiting for him to, to get himself in gear to say, yes, this is my plan. These are the teams I'm willing to entertain. And the clock's ticking, 17 days, and to not even really begin to have that conversation yet, that's put everyone in a tough spot because he was infatuated with the Rangers. You talk to people around the Blackhawks, mm. his dad, who's at practice and morning skates and whatever, has been quietly asking about the New York Rangers in the weeks leading up to that trade. They've all been curious, but they didn't act fast enough. And now that was a huge wake-up call that I believe – at least from the people that I talked to around the league in the last few days, has lit a fire under him to now try and figure this out and get to the bottom of it and, and present a plan to the Blackhawks. Well, yeah, so they, they control their own destiny, even if they do decide to waive the no-move clause, like they can decide where they want to be traded to, plus the cap hit is astronomical and obviously would require at, at, le at least one 50% retention by the Blackhawks. Like, we're talking, and I, I guess we need to separate them because I think Jonathan Taves at this point is, yeah, barely a, a top nine forward uh, unless you think that there's something else there. And Kane, you mentioned the, the injury concerns there. Like, it, it feels like the returns, if these guys decide to, in fact, waive their no-move clause, the, the, it's, it's not going to recoup much of anything for Chicago. Well, and I think that's why Chicago, Ben, has approached this deadline period trying to maximize their value elsewhere. Um, they're trying to get as much as they can for Jake McCabe, hence the willingness to retain. Sam Lafferty uh, is likely in a second-round pick territory. I believe they have a third on the table from a team and have essentially said, first team up to, to give us a second. 
you get him. And so they've looked at it in a way of saying Kane and Taves have, they hold the keys here. And whether or not they're traded, whatever we end up getting from this point forward is a bonus because it's unknown. They're not counting on it. And that I think that's the only way that they could approach this, which is you don't have any say in the matter. And if they only give you one team and that one team knows that they've only given one team to the Blackhawks to talk to, well, it makes it really hard to squeeze much from them. Uh, before I let you go, uh People in Edmonton getting all hot and bothered about the possibility of the Oilers adding Eric Carlson, who's, yeah, going to win a Norris this year. Um, he's having an incredible, incredible, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> he's, he's pretty damn good. Uh, he's also making all the money, and he's 32, and the contract runs through the 26-27 season. Uh, how willing would the Sharks be to eat? I mean, I, I saw reports of, you know, needing to eat at least like $4 million per season and cap hit until that 26-27 season? Is that at all realistic? Well, they're willing to eat, but the price becomes, I think, what already was really high at 18 or 20%. The ask was three first-round picks. Uh, That was the report. Their GM and Mike Greer sort of quibbled with that, saying it wasn't totally accurate, but he also didn't pour cold water all over it. And so if they're getting into the... 40% range or 50% range to potentially knock him as far down as 5.75 million for the next four seasons that you're looking at an absolute haul. And I think there's that, you know, sort of push and pull that exists in a front office of like, maybe we should just suck up the cap hit. But even if that's the case, how many teams, even at seven and a half uh, could even possibly get to that, like, let's, let's say you're the Oilers, for instance, and you desperately want Eric Carlson. You have to trade them back $7.5 million in order to begin to entertain the possibility and then start to add your assets in to get it. I, I personally, I don't see it realistic fit, um, and I, I don't see it even realistically him going anywhere, to be honest, before March 3rd. Uh, he'll be going to the NHL award ceremony. Whether or not he wins the Norris is, I guess, another question. Uh, Frank, sorry about your Super Bowl loss. I'm glad, though, that you had a great time with your dad. And again, like, man, those seats, uh, pretty incredible. You you must be very important. You, you seem important. No, see, that's not it. It was just uh, some things, you know, just fall into your lap, and, <laughs> and that's how it works. And you got to take advantage when it, when they give you the opportunity. Hey, 21 days out, 17, eight days out from the deadline. I would never have dreamed of, of doing something like that. And uh, it was definitely a worthwhile experience. No, you got to jump all over that, especially with your old man. That, that's awesome. Sorry it didn't work out uh, in the win-loss column. But you already, I mean, you had one five years ago. Come on. Like, let's get a great. Yeah, I know. It can't be too greedy. Yeah. Thanks, Frank. See ya. See you, man. Uh, Frank Saravelli, president of hockey content for Daily Faceoff. Yeah, the sitting of the players thing while trade discussions are ongoing. I mean, why even play them at all this season, I suppose? Like, I guess, you know, play them the first month, prove that they're healthy. (laughs) Vladislav Gavrikov, and then shut them down uh, to protect the asset. Make sure that he doesn't get injured the rest of the way. And like you said, like those players in Chikrin, in Gavrikov, are motivated to shut their mouths uh, and just sit on the sidelines and, you know, get paid to do nothing. Who doesn't want to do that? But it is bizarre that, you know, even the NBA is tamped down on on the 
the rest days for their star players, right? Like, you got to give up at least a feigned excuse. Like, just lie. How hard is it to lie? It's really easy. But no, nobody's lying. Blue Jackets not lying. Cody's not lying. Being sat out for trade-related reasons. And we'll see. I, I guess Timo Meyer is going to play tonight at 1030 against the Pittsburgh Penguins. When we come back, all right, we're going to go back down to Dunedin, talk to Shai Davidi, uh, interrupt his dinner, because he's, he's postponing it to talk to us for a little bit. Today, the discussion, I guess, in all the spring trainings, multiple pictures all over the place of the new bases, which are bigger. Like, not significantly, but I guess when you look at them, they look bigger. And I've seen the, the comparison pictures. They look bigger. The most bizarre comment I saw, actually, the funniest comment I saw today was from Red Sox manager Alex Cora, who said, they look like a pizza box, to be honest with you. Well, to be honest with you, Alex Cora, I don't know how that's different than the old bases. Like, it's just a bigger pizza box. Like, is it... Is that what you're talking about, like an extra large pizza as compared to a small pizza? That is a confusing comment. Uh, so we'll talk to Shai Davidi about the unveiling of the new bases, but also sitting on the, on the Bo Bichette media availability that we all saw, and we got some quotes, and we talked to Ben Wagner yesterday about that. There was one after that for just the the print media, the digital media, that... We were not privy to. Shy wrote about that. He also wrote about the first spring training under manager John Schneider, which we keep hearing these same narratives laid out in front of us time and time again with this guy, and, and it felt like it was the reason the managerial change was made in the middle of last season, that this team needs like a more serious, more mature approach. We saw him be explicit in talking about Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s attention to detail on the bases. And to me, there's like a comparison. I know you go back to the 2015 season and the moves that were made at the trade deadline that eventually put the Blue Jays over the top. They didn't win a World Series, but they were the best team in baseball before they were 50 and 51, went on that run to the American League Championship Series, and yeah, you get some umpiring the other way in Game 6, maybe you go to Game 7, yada, yada, yada. Going into that year, the major acquisition, obviously, eventual American League MVP and Josh Donaldson, and yeah, at the deadline, you add another super serious guy in Troy Tulowitzki. And I don't want to speak too much out of school here, but like some notable departures also before that season in Brett Laurie, and Adam Lind. And those were good players, okay? And and part of the deal with the Oakland A's in acquiring a guy who would eventually go on to win the American League MVP was giving up a good young player in Brett Laurie and who would have expected his career to play out that way, just couldn't stay healthy, and yada, yada, yada. And nobody's talking about his work ethic being in question. But yeah, he, and Adam Lind, same thing. Like, nobody's questioning his work ethic, but like as far as... Ugh. I hate to use this word, but it does apply here. The vibes, as far as the vibes are concerned, like a couple of guys that were not going to be confused with Troy Tulowitzki, okay? Let, let's just put it that way. And maybe not Josh Donaldson either. Who can wear on people, right? They're so driven, so serious. Even Jose Bautista, so 
Like winning is the only thing that matters, and that's what we're here for. And anything less than that is unacceptable. You know, no try. Uh, yeah, not the try hard league. It's the let's win league. That you wonder if the same thing is taking place here with the Blue Jays in a couple of notable additions, but a couple of notable departures. And this is not to like disparage Lourdes Gurriel Jr. or Teoscar Hernandez, the latter of which is a silver slugger and like middle of the order bat on a championship caliber team. But as much as it is the sport that most is it you can apply the numbers just straight to the wins loss records there is like the winning in the margins and that's the stuff if you talk to Alex Anthopoulos the biggest difference between 14 and 15 that there's more than just the baseball reference page when building a team out and he learned that after the trade in 2013 anyways we'll talk to Shai Davidi about that and then yeah the pizza box bases next as the fan drive time continues I'm Ben Ennis Sportsnet 590 The Fan